Welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org or come and join us at 10am every Sunday. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you just rest on him? Give him the words that we need to hear this morning. And give us open hearts and open minds to hear what you have to say to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Am I on? Sounds like it. And, okay. Uh, my words really um, follows on from what has been prophesied and what others have prophesied. Uh, we're starting a new series, uh, and I'm kicking it off. Uh, we're calling the series Godly Living Unwrapped, and it's about going deeper into God. And uh, can I have my scripture up, Steve? That's the only. I'll read it out anyway. Um, I, let me just give you a little bit of. I, I, God has been saying this to me for a couple of months, I would say, and I wanted to try and bring that at the baptism, but it didn't seem right. Um, I spoke about hot cross buns and being hot buns. Um, but today I want to kind of pick up where I felt God was, was leading me. And that is in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says here, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour of customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, I, I have loved that scripture for many, many, many years since uh, I was in early years of being a Christian. And it was how I decided I wanted to give myself and to understand what God was saying to me. Um, there's, so I want to look at Romans, but I want to look before this passage, I want to look at why... Paul is saying, I urge you. So we have to look at that. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, listening to Tim Keller, the American theologian and Bible teacher. And he's got a book that I've bought about Romans. And it says in the introductions, the first line, the letter to the Romans is a book that repeatedly changes the world by changing people. And that is the whole message, I hope, of what this series will be. That the Bible can change the world by changing people. I want to look at the context, as I always say, about the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. So that's a massive book, so I'm, <laughs> believe me, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be here for a while. 
So uh, I won't be telling you to cancel today's lunch. It'll be tomorrow's lunch and the day after's lunch. So, <laughs> um, just a quick skirt through uh, that. I want to. I, I've been studying the, the sort of history of what it was like in Jerusalem and in in Rome at that time. We are so used to. Uh, the expectations of what culture is like, the, you know, the kindness that people show to each other, uh, the morality that people show to each other. That wasn't the case 2,000 years ago. Uh, there were slaves everywhere. Uh, and whenever a, an, a, a people over, overwhelmed and overtook another people, they made them slaves. And so when we, when we look at the cross, when we look at the humiliation that Jesus went through, the whipping, first of all, and then hanging on the cross, that was all part of the Roman uh, stance to keep people in slavery. And I'll, I'll develop that a little bit more. Uh, and in fact, the first line in, in the book of Romans, I'm not asking you to bring that up, Steve, because I didn't, I didn't ask you to do it. But it says, I, Paul, am a slave of Christ. It's, it's slightly different in, in different versions, but in my, in my New Living Translation, it says that Paul is identifying as a slave. To Christ. You see, the, the, the slave and the morality of that time was utterly depraved. People, uh, if you were a, a slave master and you had a household, you would abuse both physically and sexually both the men and the women in your, under your uh, mastership. They would do what they wanted to do. And the slaves had no power to do anything different. Slaves had no, no identity. They had no wealth. They had, they, were, they, they had to ask permission to be married. They had absolutely nothing uh, as, as far as the master is concerned. So when Paul writes and he talks about you being a slave to sin. People understood that that way, that depravity. But there were not just... The, the slave owners were could also be good. The slaves could also be like top civil servants. So you had this, this uh, two different way, or a number of sort of different spectrum of slavery. You had those who were living in little burrows, as they've seen in, in Rome. They've discovered these tiny little hovels where men and women would just cower and live, where they were abused. And then you also had slaves who were part of the, the government of, of Rome and who were quite well um, respected. But they were still slaves. They still had no identity. They still had no wealth. 
they still had no choice over what they could do. And isn't that like the way that we see sin in this country? We see those who, it's so easy to see those who may be, you know, down and out. You say, they're slaves to sin. That's quite simple to see. But I was a slave to sin too. And I was, you know, a good person. But I was a slave to sin. And it says in, in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that I was a slave, I was a slave to sin. I couldn't do anything about it. <clears throat> but God is calling us to be culturally different. But let's look at the cross. The choice that Jesus made was to identify uh, as a slave, as a slave to sin. We always think he was, it's, you know, Jesus died as a criminal. No, he didn't actually. He died identifying as a slave. But not as a slave that we would know, but a slave to sin. But because he was sinless, he overcame sin and death. And so we can be slaves of righteousness. Does that make sense? And so just thinking about all of that, the, the way that life was at that time in Rome or in Jerusalem, it was horrendous. And to something that came to me this morning as I was trying to pray and, and prepare to, to speak to you, uh, we were talking about seeds in the, in the prayer uh, this morning. Jesus was that sin, uh, that seed that was planted. He died, and that plant, that seed grew up. And it, it says like that mustard seed, it took over the garden. Culturally, what happened 2,000 years ago was that Jesus died on the cross. People put their faith in him. And that plant, that tree grew to a place where we are now in a culture that we feel very comfortable with. It's a basically a Christian culture that we live in. We take grace so much for granted, even if you are not a Christian. Our health service, our welfare state, human rights, all these things are based upon the Christian ethics, upon the word of God. And that is how the, the, the tree, of, or the mustard seed, has grown over 2,000 years. But there are people trying to break and cut down that tree. So we have to be countercultural. We have to move in a different way. Not just to preserve our 
tree, if you like, of Christian culture, but to see it grow even further, to go even further and deeper into people's lives because there's been a pruning going on and we are now ready to see that uh, the tree to grow into people's lives, to see people come to a knowledge of Christ in a greater measure. There's, there's one thing I, I really like the uh, I read or heard the other day. So it's talking about the gospel. The gospel we know, if we've lived in Christian circles long enough, means good news. But it's more than that. It's actually what happened was there was a herald. There was a people would go out, and they would they would not just say. Yeah, here's some good news. Here's a nice story about Jesus. Or here's a new king. They would say, there is a new kingdom. There is a new kingdom here. The king that we had has died. There is now a new king and there is a new kingdom. That is what the gospel is. It's a declaration that there is a new kingdom that people can live in. That they can have a new life. They can no long. They don't have to be slaves to sin. You can be a slave to righteousness by coming to the cross. Isn't that good news? There's a few nodding heads. That is a wonderful thing. So, what is it like? You can't put up my smile. Okay, I. I was. Um, Somebody I, I know who is a non-Christian. Uh, I don't know her that, that well. She's definitely an atheist uh, because we've invited, Leslie's invited her to, to different things over the years. And I haven't seen her for a while. But anyway, I have her on Facebook. Anyway, she put something on Facebook. It was from, I don't know, the New philo- Philosophists or something like that. And this is what it said. In case no one told you today, life is decay. You will always be truly alone. You are expendable. Nothing happens for a reason. You're going to die. You will be forgotten. It will be like you never existed. Well, uh, after that, I needed to rub down with a, a bit of good news. That's pretty, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? That's what the kingdom of, of darkness is like. That is the kingdom of sin. That's what it says. That's what Satan says to us. That's what I have been delivered from. I've got a counter to this. And what I would encourage you to do... Well, I've got to find it now. Uh, oh, no, it's on my... Anyway, <laughs> I haven't got... I, I can, I'll try and ad-lib this. I did have it on the presentation. So what would you say as, as the opposite of that? Yeah, you well done. Thank you, Steve. So, life is decay. No, eternal life can start today. You will always be truly alone. 
Jesus is closer than a brother. You are expendable. You are precious in the sight of Jesus. Nothing happens for a reason. Jesus is in control. You're going to die. This is what John says. Those who believe in Jesus, even though they die, will live. You will be forgotten. Jesus said, and I think we sang it earlier, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And I struggle with this one. I will, uh, it will be like you never existed. I will. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. For the former things have passed away. Book of Revelations. But that is what the first bit is what people are being told. They are slaves to sin. And how do we get out of that? The answer is, of course, at the cross. How do you act counterculturally? So once, if somebody says, as they quite often, I mean, not, not always going to write, reel off that sort of uh, list of misery and, and despair, but they will often say, I'm just nothing. I'm, ex- I'm expendable. You don't have to stand there with your Bible and smack them over the head, but say, no, you are precious. You are precious. God has seen you. You know, quote Psalm 139. God has seen you formed in your mother's womb. That's how you can be countercultural. You know, people are afraid of death, particularly since the pandemic. All we see is death, 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 war, war, death. Counter that with the hope of eternal life. The hope of, of just an eternal relationship with Jesus. So, I come to the context of giving your life on the altar. First of all, understand the wonderful news of what Jesus has done. It's not just an AA done on the cross for me. No, he really has set you free from all of this misery, despair, and he's given you a new hope. Something that you can't find in any other textbooks, any other way of trying to make it up. It is only at the cross. It is only in Jesus and worshipping him that you will find that. Um, Marion, in the, in the prayer meeting, she, she started talking about being culturally different. And uh, so I shall, I don't know where Marion is, where are you? Oh, there you are, right in front of me. And you said, yes, that we should love one another, but also love those around us. Be countercultural by doing it. It doesn't have to be a program that you put people on, it's just be different. People are so afraid to actually speak up and be kind to people. Speak up and do it. Just be part of your life. That's what being countercultural means in many ways. You can be that little leaf of that tree that's grown from the cross. 
changing somebody's life, changing the work atmosphere where you are, changing the neighbourhood where you are, by speaking to people who are lonely, speaking to people who are mourning. Just be bold, step out of that, that, uh, uh, that, that prison sometimes that we are afraid of what people will say and what people will think. It's easy for me to stand here and say that. I find it difficult to, to be countercultural in these things. It's easy to go along with what other people say. But no, we need to, to, to step out of it and declare these things. So work it through. One of the things I will ask you in your groups to do is find counters to these those awful, miserable uh, declarations. Um, I'm, let me just quickly do this. Okay, so what does it say there? It says, give your bodies. Be a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? I've talked about the cross. and Very often we have the expression, give it to God. And I want to kind of practically show how that, what that means. Because sometimes it's a bit of a Christian cliche, just give it to God. We've talked about the cross as the sacrifice. Sacrifice for sin. The altar is is, is the other place. So, uh, do you struggle with certain things? What parts of your life do you have? So I've got my family. There's some of them there. Uh, this is just put together as my dad and my brother and cousins and sister-in-laws, also my children. They're there. That's my family. Give your family to God. Put them on the altar before him. I leave you to deal with my children. I know, you know, it's like, Jeremy, how many of you used to have a little pair of mittens when you were a kid that was on a piece of elastic? <laughs> it's only John and Jenny. I, oh, and there's a few more. I think it's a generational thing. But believe me, you were a different generation. We were so poor in those days, we couldn't afford to lose gloves. So we had a piece of elastic attached to our, our, our gloves. And it went through our jackets or our anoraks when we were probably, well in John's case, probably about 15. <laughs> no, about, I don't know, up to five or so. It's sometimes when we try to give these things, it's like it's on that piece of elastic. It pings back at us. We can't let it go. You have to put it on the altar and leave it. Cut the elastic off. I've got my wallet, your money. Uh, that's again a difficult thing. Give your money to God. It says, you know, test me in these things. But it, 
I, I do struggle with the, you know, here is my money, God, now you've got to do something for me. I find this difficult. I know it says, test me in this, and it's the only thing. But it's still a mindset that I think has to be very carefully walked by. So here's my money. What do I do with my money? How do I spend it? It's not just about tithing or giving. It's about what do I do with it, generally. Now I've got my passport. What is my identity? Who am I? Now this is my UK passport. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's my first thing. I don't have a passport unless you count this as my passport. But anyway, my identity. I can't remember why I brought this in. <laughs> Maybe it was to wake some people up. <laughs> No, things, things you do about the house is what kind of, you know, that, that's what's going through in my head at the moment. Where do you spend your time? You know, I'm, at the moment, my children are buying new houses, so we're demolishing things. So, I should be using this. Is that, you know, when you do a job, give it to Jesus. Help me, Lord. I need your help. <laughs> what you read. Where are you going? Where are you going? This is a compass if you can't see. God, give me guidance. Show me where to go. I'm putting where I should live, where I should travel, where I should work. I'm putting that on the altar. And I love sport. So cricket, ball, tennis, I don't know, I'm tennis, forget that, but anyway, some, some of you might enjoy tennis. Cricket is my game. You know, where you go to play your sport? I guess you guys, you know, your, your sport, give that to God. Your ability, your skills, they are God-given. Give them to Him. Do you know what, when I became a Christian, that's what I did, and I said, Lord, I could, I've done a reasonable job. I, I always over-exaggerate things. <laughs> I hadn't done a particularly good job, but I thought I had. But he's done the best job. So even you know, playing golf, I dropped five shots off my handicap. I've won lots of things. Why? Because I said, here you are, God. You must know something about this. You go around with Bernard Langer. So it was a few years ago. You must know what it's like to play golf well. I give you those things. And finally, my work. Now, this is, this is not going to be a presentation, but a machine parts. This is what I do. I sell co-rotating twin screw extruder parts. <laughs> so that's what that means. My job. You have to give us Exactly, exactly. Nobody else understands co rotating to screw extreme. Give your work to him. You know, I, I'm you know, looking to retire. Looking to where you are going to do your next job. Lord, show me. Put my work hours, I put them on the altar. That is 
how that is what it means to give it to God. Put it on the altar and say, there you are. I've cut the strings of my, my mittens. They're not going to come back to me. They do, let's be honest. They keep coming back. You have to keep putting it back on the altar. Keep putting it back there for him to have control over it and for you to take your hands off and take your control off of these things. I was going to lie down, but I haven't really got space to But lie down. You are a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And as somebody once said, living sacrifices, by definition, are living. They can get off the altar. Try to get back on the altar every day. Because that is your act of spiritual worship. Now, uh, we're very close to, to running over, but uh, there's this song that I've, I hope, teed up. Uh, and I, I felt that this really summed up, I hope, all that I have said today. It's actually a Christmas song, vaguely, but there's a, there's a, there's a line in there. Uh, take the crown, Messiah, take the crown and have it, and then I will run to you. I, I haven't got the words right, but... Should we go, Steve? Do you want to stand up? Okay, uh, we're running out of time, but can you pray that prayer? Lord, reign. Can you take the crown that is on your heart and give it to him so that he can be the king of your life and run with the gospel for him? And Lord, we just give you glory, Lord, for that. So let me just ask you, just pray that prayer. Pray your prayer. Lord, reign in me. Lord, take all of all the areas of my life, my work, my leisure, my diary, my family. Take it all. Because you have overcome sin and death at the cross. You have nailed my old self there. And I can be transformed because of what you have done, because you were perfect. And Lord, I just give you my life again now. And say, Lord, I'm sure you can do even better as I take my sticky hands off every area of my life. Lord, come and I pray that for everybody here, Lord. I pray as a church, Lord, we will give you what we do. That that tree, that mustard seed that was planted 2,000 years ago will grow even further into every crevice and, and mindset of this area. Come, Lord, we give you our worship, we give you our building, we give you our finances, we give you our structures, we give you everything, Lord God. And we say, 
Lord, grow it. That you will get glory, Lord. That you will reign over every area, Lord God. We put these things on the altar and ask for you to bless it, Jesus. <laughs> so, Father, just ask for your blessing on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.